All right. I'm at the Red House with Adonis Abdullah. What up? What's up, dude? How are you? I'm good. <laughs> Am I allowed to look at the camera? Yeah, if you want to. You can wave at him. Uh, I just, for dramatic effect sometimes. <laughs> I got you, guys. <laughs> so we met uh, in this... I get what, what is it called? Uh, a, accelerator. An accelerator. Yeah. We met in a business accelerator. Um, are you good with like us talking about your whole business and all that stuff? Yeah. Why not? Free why promo. Why don't we start there? Cool. Give me the, uh, give me the layout of what the business is these days. All right. So yeah, I am the founder CEO of home team and we essentially use analytics to help small college teams win more games. So, like, not the D1s. Like, we really focus on, like, the D2s, D3s. So, like, we think of, like, UNCSA, the Fighting Pickles. Mm -hmm. Like, that's our go-to team. Like, we want to help them win because they just don't have a lot of money. Like, they can't hire a lot of people. They can't buy the cool tech. So, like, they're really struggling to win. They struggle to get recruits. They struggle to make money. And that's just not fair to the players, to the fans. Um, I went to a small school. So I was one of those fans who had to watch their team lose every week. Mm -hmm. And I just got tired. I have a data science background. So I was like, all right, let me use this brain for something fun. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I started this company for the players, helped them improve their performance, which ultimately translates into more wins. And we've been at it for like two years now. Me, um, two other guys, um, Ty, Zach, shout out. And yeah. Yeah, so that's home team in the quick 30 seconds. Love it. So have you have you always been on the entrepreneurship sort of road? Uh, absolutely. It, it's always been, like, in me. Like, it's in my blood. I'm, like, a fourth-generation entrepreneur. Mm. So my dad started a company right out of college. Didn't get too far. But he started one right out of college. His mom, so my grandma, she started a hair salon. Her mom, my great-grandma, started a daycare thing. So it's like, this just got in my blood to just, like, go out there, chase these ideas, chase the dreams. Um, even since, like, I was a little kid, like, I remember writing down in my journal, like, little ideas I had. I was like, what if rims could light up? <laughs> like, that was, like, my first ever idea. And so, like, huh. I was probably, like, nine or so when I thought of that. And I remember, like, I wanted to be a musician and, like, me and my cousin had, like, this idea for, like, a record label. And, and we're, like, 11 years old, yep. thinking of business plans, how we're going to make money and stuff. Yep. And so, yeah, yeah, it's always been in me. Um, I think it'll always stick with me, even, like, beyond home team or whatever next project is. Like, I, I, I just love it. So That's so interesting. And that first, that first idea. <laughs> Light up rooms? That's good. That's not bad. One of my first business ideas... Uh, was a I was going to compete with Upper Deck. I was going to have like a card, a basketball card company. Oh, I see. Do like collectible cards or whatever. Yeah. And it was going to be called Signature. That's and a good uh, name. me and my cousin used to play basketball and like make these makeshift cards or whatever all the time. And that was kind of, uh, yeah, that was like, for some reason, I've always had it in my head. When I see something that I like, the nature that I seem to have is like, I'm going to do it, not just consume it, but I'm going to do it. Hmm. I don't know why, but it sounds like you have a bit of that. Like, why was it not sufficient just to play basketball? Why you got to make a light up rim? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think, 
I have no clue. I probably should have just played basketball and then <laughs> not try to be an entrepreneur. But then again, I'm not very tall either. Like I'm, I'm a measly six foot. I wouldn't have got very far. But like, I think it's just, I want to push the boundaries. I think when I find myself doing things and like, I'm good at doing some things. It's like, I find these rules and it's like, why are we doing them? Mm. Because they've always been done like that. And like, that pisses me off. And so I think like, that's part of like where my like entrepreneurial mind comes from. It's like, what are the different ways we can do it? Why haven't we tried this? What would happen if we did try it? And it's just like breaking the rules in little ways. I guess it's like my rebellion against the system, I guess. Yeah. I'm too scared to speed, so I'll try to <laughs> I'll try to do something else. Yeah. I'll start a company. I'll show up. So is this that same spirit of like, hey, let's shake shit up, is that also what you see in the entrepreneurship that's that's elsewhere in your family? Definitely it showed it came through with my dad for sure. Like his was like this entertainment company. He was in a he like was in Greek life, he was in a fraternity, so his was like um for them and like their stuff is like really rigid with fraternities, black fraternities specifically. And so like he wanted to put on these like entertainment events that kinda like bucked the norm a little bit, but like was still fun and like a part of the culture. So like I saw it in him for sure. Or I heard the stories of it from him and like that resonates there. But I think up the chain, it was just kind of like, I'm good at this. And they did put their own spin on it, but it was just kind of like, I'm good at this, and I know I can make the living. And I always think, like, generations try to make life better for the next. Mm-hmm. And so, like, my grandma worked hard in her hair salon so my dad could try to, like, make this entertainment company. Right. And then, like, he worked hard, so now I can, you know, try to you know, help out these college sports teams or work on light up rims if I want to. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of what it's looking like. That's, yeah. how, that's how I reflect on the fam. And I guess the fam, it sounds like would probably be encouraging of your exploration of creativity and, and yeah. entrepreneurial ideas and stuff. Yeah. hundred percent. Like they're, they're supportive. They don't fully understand what I do, but like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty abstract, but like, yeah, they, they support it a lot. And they get uncomfortable sometimes because, like, they'll see me doing things that, like, they didn't do themselves. And so it gets to a point where, like, they aren't able to help me anymore. And they just stuff do you mean? So, like, I'm trying to, like, raise funding right now for my company. Uh And it's like my dad's company didn't make it that far. And so, like, now as an entrepreneur, like, I'm on new ground. Mm -hmm. And he just has to watch his baby boy just kind of walk out into the world. And he can't do anything about it. Yeah. And... No, and a lot of credit for, to him because, like, I know some people will try and pull their kids back when they get to that point because yep. of that it's scary. But, like, he does encourage it, and, you know, I'm very thankful for him. My mom, too. Shout out to her. Yeah. I'm just talking about him. But, you know, she's, she's encouraging, too. But, you know, it's scary, and they try to, like, make sure that I'm aware and I'm not just, like, naive walking into the world blind. Yeah. But no, they do. They do support it, and it's made the journey a lot easier. Yeah, man, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, has it been like that? I mean, like the music career. What's that been like with you? It ain't always been like that. Uh, I so I I when I was nineteen, I was in school and I was working a job I hated, and I remember uh, I was I was in school for. Um, it was music production, so to speak, but it was kind of my, my specific discipline was music performance under the, under the sort of umbrella of, of, uh, 
music pro- was it music production something like that anyway um i i just i could tell that this path wasn't going to get me where i wanted to go and so against against all best judgment i told my mom like this sounds a little ridiculous but i think i'm just going to like not go back to school next semester and quit this job and start trying to pursue the music thing and she you know i don't know i could just hear it in her voice it was like oh god <laughs> like <laughs> this is going to be interesting but she was like i mean you got to do what you got to do you know like we'll yeah we'll support you and it was like a reluctant version of support yeah no one thought that like no one saw quite what i think my generation was seeing which was like mm. the internet was changing the way that you could do not only business but the arts as well like it opened doors for people in a way that was unex- like hard to wrap your head around like you could yeah. i mean my mom took me to guitar center once and we spent like 150 dollars on a studio in a box and it came with like a two-channel interface and some speakers and some cables and stuff and it was like that wasn't possible in 1981 or whatever yeah. but it was for for me on the come up so uh you know uh, also dealing with tools that they just didn't understand and with reluctance and with sort of some panic mm-hmm. some some thoughts like oh is this just going to be a bad thing uh they did what they could to to be supportive of me and then you know as things started looking more promising they were super happy about it and, yeah and even now when i try to justify kind of stepping away from more traditional paths and going back toward the arts they're they get it now they're like yeah you you gotta do what you gotta do yeah do they like try to like do how often they ask favors favors yeah like is your mom like (laughs) hey tyler come sing (laughs) it does happen sometimes uh my mom kind of knows better now um there's been a, a couple of weird things it happened more often in my early to mid twenties and I'm 33 now. So it was like a year, a a decade ago, it was a lot more common for them to think that it was appropriate to like, we're going to have him do a drum demonstration at a birthday party. And then that would be really awkward and no one would enjoy it. And it was just like, this is not spotlight. This is just, everyone's uncomfortable. Uh, like a, Two years ago, I wrote a song that was about my grandparents on both sides of my family. Mm-hmm. And uh, Which my grandma. Which song? It's called uh, Way to Live. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you came across that one on YouTube or anything. That's only. It's. Yeah, it's not on Spotify yet. Oh. So my grandmother heard it, and then she asked me to come play it, like, at a family Thanksgiving or whatever. And that also was very awkward. It's, it just never feels good. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. The line with family. Yeah. So you said you were wanted to be a musician. I mean, what was that? When was that? Dude, that was a that's a dark time in my memory. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was terrible, dude. I was it was fourth grade, so I'm like ten years old or so. And in my mind, I was like, all right. Like I like I was like I'm gonna be a rapper because that's the cool thing to do, but my parents didn't really let me listen to rap music like that. Mm. That was like they were like coming back around to church, like they probably like started going back to church like third fourth grade, and so it was like that was the only thing we could listen to. I said I want to be a rapper. They're like, well, 
you better talk about Jesus in these raps. Mm-hmm. So I had to become a Christian rapper. And I remember, like, I, like, I, I was, like, all in on it, too. Um, and, like, I recorded this album for it, put it up on Groove Shark. I don't know if you remember Groove Shark. Groove Shark. Was that, like, LimeWire or whatever? Was that, it was like, kinda a like, It was, like, thing? Spotify before Spotify. More like, um, what is it, um, SoundCloud in the sense that, like, anyone okay. could upload music. Yeah. But people would use it for, like, radio hits and stuff. But, yeah, like, I had, like, this, like, proper album up there. Like, I remember, like, in my elementary school from, like, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, like, they would ask me to, like, rap for different projects and, like, for the school and shit. Really? Yeah. So, like, it was kind of it was kind of fun, but I was terrible. Uh-huh. But, like, we were, like, fourth, fifth graders. No one knew that I was terrible. They're just like, oh, this kid raps. Listen to the beat on this. Look, listen to the beat that he found off of YouTube and just put on his thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, like I was like, oh yeah, like, I'm gonna be this Christian rapper because it's the cool thing. Was it, did you go by your name? Um, what did I go by? I might have went by by actually A three. My initials Ado- Adonis A Abdullah, so three A's. So I think it was A three. A three was my rap name. You got any raps you want to spit at us right now? <laughs> Dude, I can't remember any of them. <laughs> Conveniently, no. I can't remember. You any. said you were ten. Yeah, like ten, eleven. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> I'll say something I never thought I would say on this podcast, but I'll I'll say it. So when I was in sixth grade, it was <laughs> <laughs> it was uh in the it was in the, like the the rap craze of mm-hmm. the midnight of the late nineties, you know, <laughs> of like nineteen ninety nine and two thousand or whatever. And yeah, so that was what we were all into as well. Yeah, and I was definitely drawn to that shit. Like, uh, I was already interested in lyrics at that time. And so, yeah, I started like coming up with rap lyrics and shit. Mm-hmm. And we had, uh, we would do that shit on the bus. That was a thing, man. Yeah. Wasn't Christian though. Yeah. Now freestyling used to be fun. That was something we'd mess with. Really? Or like rap battles. Were you good at it? I was... At the, I was good for a fifth grader. The problem is I'm still at a fifth grade level. Ah. So, like, I'm not going to do it now because it'll sound terrible. Gotcha. But, like, fifth grade, like, I had some, some nice burns on it, you know? Yeah? Yeah. Like, I could, like it wouldn't be, like, an, a, an extended verse. I couldn't give you a whole verse freestyle. But I could give you, like, a nice, like, one-two rhyme. Yeah? Yeah. Like an A, B, A, B, C, B thing? Like yeah. a like a line rhyme line rhyme yeah, kind of yeah, yeah simple thing yeah I could I could do that and like the back of the bus like we'd be like oh yeah, yeah. we tried that when I was in like seventh <laughs> grade and we were <laughs> as you can imagine it just was horrible yeah uh, it didn't go very far and man uh, so <laughs> interesting though interesting you bring that up so oh, there's God. been this. Interesting thing I've noticed. I mean, country music, your country adjacent, I guess. Yeah, for that sure. be fair? Yeah. So, like, with this, like, pop country thing, like, it's, like, getting a lot of hip-hop influences in it. Oh, yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not much of a separatist in that regard. Okay. I'm not, like, You're oh. not a purist? Nah. I'm, I'm not, like, music, it, like, walls must be maintained between them. Because, like, all of them are, all of them are kind of soups of lots of time of music traditions yeah um i think it's cool and especially because there's like you know there's like cultural implications of it of of like overlap between culture between like things that are perceived to be different cultures that aren't necessarily you know so i think the more of that the better but 
only if it's good. That that's the one thing I can say about it. Some like I mean, that's fair. It's not even exclusive to any country music that is uh, like clearly uh, what like clearly being influ- influenced by mm-hmm. hip hop or something, but. All country music, all Nashville music seems to be suffering from something like stupidity, something like mm. bad taste, <laughs> just mm. okay. just bad music. Fair enough. Yeah, well, I mean, what's question. your take? Follow-up question first. Okay, okay. Would you add in some 808s on one of your songs? Oh, hell yeah. Word. Yeah, I actually have um, not any 808s. <laughs> <laughs> I have some some synth-oriented music that I okay. haven't really released that much, but I don't... Oh, shit. I just realized I have a song on Life Lessons that's kind of like an ode to rap, actually. Really? Uh, I guess... I don't know if you got that far into my stuff, into but... the catalog. Yeah, so... This is interesting. <laughs> I don't. This is interesting. Tell me what you think, and if this is this sounds insane, just tell me it sounds insane. Okay. But I got fascinated with this idea that people thought that um, I was like really into future. A lot of people were really into future at the time, like uh, the artist. Yeah. Okay. I st- I still really like future, but I noticed that like <laughs> people seem to think that that was like a unique thing for for like white kids to be in the future or something. Uh-huh. And I was asking the question, like, what is that about? Like, what should it be weird if there's like ethnic crossover between musics or something? I don't know if it should be weird, you know? So I wrote a song kind of mocking that whole perception of distinction between the two. And uh. it's called white girl. And it's all <laughs> about like sort of people, uh, vacationing in what they think of as like this separate culture than their own or something. Hmm. That was a really good way to put it too. Mm. Vacationing in a different culture. Yeah. I like that. No, I don't think that's a crazy idea at all. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I thought it would be like really controversial when I did it, but I don't think anybody even noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah. Swing and you miss. Yes. Swing and you miss. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it like. Well, what is your usual, are you, are you into country at all? I do listen to some country, yeah. What kind of like, you like? More like the modern stuff. Okay. Um, like, real big Luke Combs fan. Luke Combs? North Carolina guy? Like, yeah, out uh, of Boone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Boone, yeah. Huh, okay. Love that guy. Um, listen to Kane Brown a good bit. Um, Russell Dickinson. Um, what's the other guy? Tip of my tongue. Walker Hayes. I bump his stuff a little bit. So Walker Hayes. That name I know, the other ones I didn't. Oh, um Walker Hayes. His newest big song, the one that put me on was Fancy Like. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Let me think, let me think. Kane Brown. Kane Brown, he's like he's pretty much he's almost a pop artist now. But a lot of the country I listen to is like pop country. Alright, so let's talk about Fancy Like. <laughs> Dude, you, I love it. You love this song. I love it. Tell me about what it takes for you to love this song. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I think it's so absurd. Like, fancy like Applebee's on uh-huh. a date night. Got the Bourbon Street cake with the Oreo shake. Whipped cream on the top, too. Dude, like, it's so, like, like you get to a point where you're like, what is he talking about? And then... <laughs> What the fuck? 
<laughs> I don't know. One second. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> I think the, the gods are the gods are angry. All right. I was like, ah, oh, that might be copyright. You said too many lyrics. <laughs> oh, I got this new book in the mail, man. I got to show it to you. What is it? A Thousand Design Classics. Oh, whoa. It's like... I might love that. It's like a century of badass design shit. It's good. Oh, hello, my love. Deer Park is trash. <laughs> I understand it. Everyone tells me that. It's bad. Like... Those like that six pack was the cheapest thing in the store, mm-hmm. and I understand. <laughs> like the generic version costs more than this. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, dude. They're taking deer piss. <laughs> How is water bad? I it's, never can. It's just bad. Proudly sourced in Florida. Oh, that's what it is. Have Floridians ever flaunted their water quality? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Except for that one guy. That one guy that that liked the swamps a lot and he decided to go hang out in them. I don't know about that. Yeah. It was like, he went on vacation with his girlfriend and then everyone was really worked up about it. I don't remember why. And then he went, he went into the Everglades. <laughs> All right. Did he come out? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> he sure didn't. <laughs> well, that's all right. So, so you don't like fancy like that's I what I'm gathering. I, that guy, man, he just, I don't, it's not a good reason. It's not rational. It's not like I have a real point about uh-huh. it. It's just, I heard his song, 90s Country, and his, mm-hmm. he's just tall, handsome, boring, uninteresting. Yeah. And he, like, this song, 90s Country, that he did, it was all just like, I just sing songs like this, and they're about <laughs> retro stuff, and things that are low hanging fruit. And I felt the same way about Applebee's. Like, it's just like, (laughs) like, I don't, I know country, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I need to shut up. No, go, go, go. (laughs) It's like he he references, I think cookout and Wendy's in the song. And those are authentic references or whatever. But I, I guess, I guess the point is this, this dude, maybe he legitimately, enjoys Applebee's. Maybe it's not my <laughs> place to judge the authenticity or the truth of this song, but mm-hmm. there's just something that makes me ashamed and embarrassed when I listen to it. It's just <laughs> like, so, um, I think it's, it's a part of the culture that it's something that you can find charming and laugh at. And for some reason I'm missing that in my whole personality. And I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. It sounds like I'm cynical. I feel like I'm being cynical maybe, about it. Maybe. I mean, but at the same time, like you are like the artist, like you, you understand what good art is supposed to be when it comes to music, I guess. Only in my idealistic brain, but you know, maybe like like you like, but like you understand like objectively, like the techniques that go into it yes, and like the different methods that they're trying to pull. And like, you know, like that's like a cheap, like they're going for a cheap reaction on that. Like they weren't digging for anything. Like you understand that. And so that's fair. It is. And it's, you know, I, I go to the links that I do to write songs in a certain way that exactly. are of a certain language. I would never, ever, ever endorse Applebee's in a song of mine uh, because I, I, I think of that as like an extension of marketing or like fucking I don't know what. Like it's it's right. like it's so much putting this cheap stamp on 
the modern day, like fucking, and and I don't even like Applebee's. Like, <laughs> I can't stand at, like, I can't stand Applebee's. Right. It's like the worst of all of the of the chain steakhouse yeah, places. It's garbage. It's, it's so garbage. bad. <laughs> so I don't know. There's just a lot there. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so when I was in about sixth grade and we were into rap, I accidentally left one of these rap lyrics like laying on a coffee table or something at my house. Oh no. And I didn't know it. And my <laughs> my dad like came up to me one day and was like, All right, we get to talk. And I was like, what? And he was like, you know, I because he used to just kind of let me go through his C D collection mm. at my own like whatever and yeah. didn't didn't censor it in any way. He was like, so I let you listen to all this music and you assure me that it doesn't influence you in a negative way. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he was like, I'm going to read you something. And then he started reading the lyrics to one of these yeah. rap songs and it was humiliating. <laughs> it was fucking humiliating. And I was like, I was lying. I was like, somebody else wrote it and they <laughs> gave it to me and it's just whatever. Right. But yeah. There was no getting out of it. Yeah, dude. Uh, you should have been a Christian rapper. Oh, there's some really happened. good Christian rappers. Have you ever heard uh, God is doing a new thing? Never. <laughs> I'm going to, oh, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to turn you on to some good shit. All later. right. <laughs> so God is doing a new thing in our lives, Lord. We're doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. Doing a new thing. You know, Carmen? No. Oh man, this is all like probably early '90s or mid okay. mid '90s huh. uh, Christian rap, right? Yeah, who did who did, who is Christian rap? Do you know any of those guys? None of the ones that you just named. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the biggest guy now is Lecrae. Oh, I don't know who that. But he's is. he's this new age guy. He sounds he's done a really good job of making it sound like mainstream rap, like. Unless, like, you're just really listening, you wouldn't even know it's Christian rap. It's like, mm -hmm. I think he almost won a Grammy one time for one of his pieces. Hmm. Um, no, he's probably the biggest. Dude I listen to a lot is Andy Minio. That's my guy. Um, and there's, like, a bunch of, like, smaller guys who've been around for, like, the past 10 years. But Well, I mean, yeah. So let me ask you about this subject. And not in a, not in a challenging way by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, like, so we were just talking about this the other day. Like it's from what I can tell, this is like a uh, part of your upbringing and you're unusual. in a, as far as I can tell, because mm -hmm. almost everybody I know who was raised with Christianity as part of their identity now resents it and distances themselves from it and has a super cynical like view of it. Yeah. And I don't think that you fit that description. No. Um, no, I'm not cynical of it. I still like believe in it pretty strongly. I don't like, I'm not like the person who like wears the hoodie and like, like that is my identity, but like it is like a still a pretty meaningful thing to me. And I think for me, it's just like, it could just be like a, like I've gone through so many tough things and it's like, I need something to hold on to. Mm. Um, I think that could be part of it. Another part, like I, like, even though like the church is like pretty foul and like, I do like question some of the, like the doctrine a little bit, admittedly. Like I still 
feel like a lot of it still connects and like it still resonates with me and like I don't think it's just like a whole bunch of garbage kind of like what you were mentioning when we had talked about it like the um, how did you say it um like the philosophies underneath that are like like it's still like true stuff and like at the very basis of it it's just like just live like this to be a good person yeah if nothing else like you don't have to put like the bible label on it like you know don't kill steal cheat whatever well, that's just like good people stuff and so mm-hmm. i think like i vibe with that and then like it's just like at the very worst it's something for me to hold on to yeah and it's like as I'm going through like these like hard times, these tragedies, whatever, it's like to have some kind of reassurance that like one day it's going to be good. Like that, like it's enough to like just help me go through like the next thing. Yeah. So I think that's like probably what it is. But. There's, there's a lot about that. That's really interesting to me. Uh, one is, one is like from the little I know about you, you're a very, analytical person you know science dude and like yeah. numbers guy and all yeah. this stuff and then 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 there's this thing that's like a totally probably different it's very different yeah there's it's it's almost illogical yeah yeah <laughs> and, and and not in a judgmental or negative way you know it's mm-hmm. just one of those things that isn't subject to logic maybe in the yeah same yeah way. i mean you can't see it like this idea of feeling it like that's totally abstract i think that's probably the better word it's just completely abstract mm-hmm and yeah, like data, like that's all like hard numbers and like it's factual. But yeah, no, it is abstract. And like, I think that's kind of those things like, like I do have to just like accept that for better or worse. I know like some people like they refuse to just accept it. Like, like that's a cop out of an answer, but it's kind of just like where I am. It's like, I don't feel like I need to know everything. I don't need to know the answer to it all. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm an analytical kid, but like, yeah, they, there's a whole lot in this world, in this universe, in what like whatever this is. Like, I'll just never know it, and like I, I just got to accept that. And I can put you know my belief, my faith in something that I can like don't really know. And like I'm gonna work throughout my life to like learn more about it, but that's about all I can do. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's just how I view it. It's just like I, I'm not gonna know it anyway. Yeah. So is that hard? Is that foreign for you to allow it to have that space or is it I mean I guess it's been a part of your life for a long time so yeah it isn't weird by now yeah I mean part yeah part of it is like I just I grew up with it like it's what I knew so like I didn't even think to question it at first but like it is something like my girl she'll push back on it sometimes because she's a lot like hey Kaya she's, she's probably gonna watch this hey um this is my roommate thank <laughs> you for thank you for uh, loaning them out <laughs> <laughs> No, but she's she was what you were describing. Like she grew up with religion. She was super religious. Like she could remember every Bible verse, like front and back. But no, like then like she got pretty skeptical with it. Like after some things happened in her life, yeah. And like she'll push back. She's also a data science analytical person. She'll push back. She'll be like, like how can you still believe this? Like all the contradictions and stuff. And so like that it does test my faith. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It does get challenging now. Like, I got to think about it more, and, like, I do have to, like, I got to defend my belief a little bit. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think it just makes it stronger. It could make it stronger. I guess, in theory, it could, like, you know, persuade me away, but I think all around, like, it just makes me more nuanced than, like, the understanding of Mm. it. And, like, it's not just this blind belief, but, like, I got to really think about this and, like, prove to myself that I'm not just doing it 
because my grandma told me to do it when I was two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that exact sentiment is, I think why I departed with it uh, right. when I did. And the interesting thing I found out was when I departed with it, it, it was like a violent departure. And I think mm-hmm. that was just because of how much of my identity it was, or yeah. I don't know exactly. I don't, I obviously don't know what kind you were raised with, but I was raised with a, a pretty fundamentalist kind of attitude about it. Mm. So, uh, my attachment to the idea of its truth of its like historicity and like factual truth and, and, and stuff was really deep and it really depended on it being factually true. So Mm -hmm. the concept of like any of it being mysterious, any of it being abstract, any of it being like, uh, not having an answer for stuff. I remember that was a, a big thing for sure. It was like, it was more like a habit of, coming up with answers like you could never not mm-hmm. have an answer mm-hmm. and and not having one wasn't satisfactory yeah so obviously when when you kind of do that for the first time you kind of go the other way with it i guess you yeah. you end up being like taking on this attitude that's like having an answer isn't satisfactory or something <laughs> you you just flip it when you yeah you know, uh, challenge your identity in such a harsh way. So yeah. I went really hard. I, I, I was of the belief for a long time that religion was just like this poison in the world and mm-hmm. it was horrible for everyone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, luckily I think I've advanced beyond the, uh, the more superficial aspects of those beliefs, but mm-hmm. you know, um, so I guess my question is happens. like, like for me, like, you know, faith, like I said, like bare minimum, it's just like, it represents hope. Like, yeah. how, like, what does that look like? What did that look like for you? Like, if something crazy happened in your life, some like a tragedy, whatever it is, like, what do you fall back on? What do you hold on to? Yeah. Well, I ended up with this. Uh, I learned some stuff through this process that uh, this is going to sound strange, man. Um, I practiced this sort of nihilism, this sort of nothingism, this mm. sort of like screw it all mentality for a long time. And at first that felt like rebellion and eventually it felt like despair. But then I noticed a byproduct of this is that I don't know why, but I've had some horrible shit happen, uh, with, you know, lost family members and stuff. And I just like, I don't cry and I don't, Mm. I don't deal with it emotionally in the same way that I see a lot of other people do. And it isn't that I'm, I don't think that I'm particularly like bravely stoic. It's just that I seem to have one. I think as, as bad as it, as harsh as it might sound, I feel like letting go of some of the hope for me allowed me to get really serious about the, um, the reality of what I think I was experiencing. And so when, when someone I was really close with died, instead of me kind of, I, I noticed family members would say, you know, one day we'll see this person again in heaven. Mm-hmm. I really didn't feel that way. And I would mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm not going to see them in heaven. Or at least I, I don't feel as though I'm going to see them in heaven. I, I guess I won't say that I'm yeah. not. But I, I thought to myself, like, I don't I don't have that peace. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. But... uh Nonetheless, I can just kind of accept that mm-hmm. they're not here. I can I can just accept that, and I can like appreciate that they were, but they're not now. And I can I can acknowledge that it sucks really bad that they're not here. Right. But for some reason, my attitude about all that 
it became more hard browed. It became more accepting instead of uh, mm-hmm. instead of sad. Hmm. And that sounds the opposite of I think what you would expect, but that's that's what happened. No, I mean it makes sense though, but no, I think it's it is interesting to hear like to look at it just like very kind of objectively factually almost in this like they were here time they were here was great now they're not and i think to be able to find acceptances in it i think like that's i mean that's still super cool like that's what you would want in the end yeah and hopefully like it's a healthy form of acceptance it's not like a i i'm gonna say it's acceptance and then like force myself to accept it yeah without like really like expressing like all the emotion and feeling it um because I do think it's, like, important to feel it. But I don't know. I, I think ultimately, like, if you come to that conclusion of, like, all right, I accepted it, and you can keep going, then, yeah. I mean. Well, I think there's a, there's a flip side, too. There's, like, the, the positive side of belief. Mm-hmm. And that is actually where I suffer the most. It's not, the mo- it's not so much with ne- the negative side of belief, but, like, so, for example, I, I get the impression from you that you're really driven to accomplish your goals and stuff. Um, I don't know if that has anything to do with your religious beliefs or if that strictly has to do with, like, beliefs about success. I don't know what that looks like for you. But for me, I noticed that since I lost, I think, a religious identity, mm-hmm. and I've cha- I've gone so far as to challenge myself to have even fewer identities than that, like, yeah. to try to really have as small of an ego as possible in the way that ego connects to uh, belief systems. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that that makes my life a lot harder uh, in the way that it makes me feel less driven towards success or something. Mm. Long story short, from listening to other people talk, what I seem to be noticing is that when you can believe in something really positive, mm-hmm. you're more likely to pursue positive goals. And yeah. that's something I feel like I'm missing by having given up my religious identity. Yeah. Jeez. That makes sense. And I, yeah, I resonate with that too. Like, yeah, part of my drive is like somewhere, somehow, however it's manifest. Like, I feel like I'm like supposed like called to do things. I'm like supposed to do certain things. So yeah, no, I mean, I definitely make sense. And like, even like when things are getting really hard, like, you know, like entrepreneurship, like this is tough and like, I do just like want to like quit some days, but it is like, I feel like I'm supposed to keep going. And like part of the promise of Christianity for better or worse is that like, you know, all things will work or whatever come together. Uh, The cliche, but like, I do feel like, you know, like there is like this, like really good thing out there. I believe in that really positive. So let me just keep working and like, you know, aim for the, was aim for the stars, land on the moon or Mm -hmm. whatever. I guess it's something like that. I don't know. I mean, but that makes so much sense. Like we've heard that our whole lives, probably the, uh, you know, all things work together for good for them who love the Lord. It's really easy as a kid to think of that as just, that's a Bible verse you memorize. Mm -hmm. But when you think about like the, the, what that does to the psyche, you know what I mean? Like a person Mm -hmm. who really tries to embody that belief and believe Everything works together for something good, for yeah. like a for a, a good plan, for like a good balance in the world. Mm-hmm. Somebody who doesn't believe that, I mean, that person is probably resentful and 
bitter mm-hmm. and stuff. And it does, it does, it just seems to be a better path to be on to believe that. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it's, it is a complicated verse though. And like that, that's a verse specifically like me and my girl will talk about a lot mm. because it's there within it is like this implied, like all things will work together for the good. And it's almost saying like the good is going to completely overshadow the bad. And like we talk about a lot how like the bad things still happen. Mm-hmm. Like something good will maybe come later in life, but the bad was still there and it's still going to suck a whole lot. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, as that verse is told a lot, it's just like, don't worry about the bad. Forget about that. Cause something good's going to come out of it. Whatever bad thing, like you lost a family member, like it, like it's going to be good. Like, don't worry about the loss so much. Worry about the good thing that comes out of it. Mm. And so like, it's a complicated thing. Um, like it is a hopeful verse, but like you could also become delusional with yeah, it. I see what you mean. So I don't, you I don't, think there's a potential. Yeah. I think that's like any, most verses in the Bible. Like if you want to like, just kind of like bubble yourself with that or like with like a handful of these verses that just make yourself feel good mm-hmm. without actually dealing with the realities of the world. And like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be tough. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. I totally wouldn't know what you mean. There, there's a, I think what people would call, I don't use terms like this usually, but I think it's what people would call like a toxic positivity, you know, that people could, you know, like toxic. It's, it's just one of the, you know, anything that becomes like a cliche, like a hardcore cliche, uh, like the same way people are talking about culture now. Like, yeah, they just like, once I hear like the TikTok (laughs) robot use it like more than 10 (laughs) times, it's like, uh, yeah, man, exactly. (laughs) It's just like, it becomes words become these things that are beyond that. They're like a club you're in if you use them instead of just like tools, you know? So it, I mean, toxic is a loaded term. It means that it basically means that you're like, on the left side of the spectrum in some way or yeah. something, you know? So, so you're aligning yourself with all these different beliefs. Um, but regardless of that, <laughs> the, the theory as it stands would be something like, yes, that it sounds like a toxic version of positivity that could be, uh, could be practiced by just only seeing the world through these yeah. sort of rose colored glasses and, Oh, you have to be positive all the time because you're a Christian I've definitely seen that in my yeah, life and yeah. in, in the South. I think that's a pretty common thing. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I, I, and that was probably, that was something I probably couldn't fuck with when I was in, I went to a Christian high school, you know, so it was kind of an indoctrination station. And yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't great. And my education suffered for it too. <laughs> yeah. Was it like a, like a public school? No, it couldn't have been, right? Yeah, no, it was private, and it was, like, very small. You struck me as a private school kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Is it the uh, Patagonia? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, it was, like, it's, like, I don't know. It's, like, the, it's, like, a, it's, like, if Walmart was your usual uh, private school, this was, like, the Dollar General. It was like oh, I see, I smaller, see. cheaper, shittier. Yeah. Like everything's a little more fucked up. But. I don't think anyone's ever compared private schools to Walmart, but it's like a public school thing. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's just a Target. To yeah. Dollar General, but. Target to, I don't know what we, do, we were still Dollar yeah. General. Yeah. It was real small. And like, I mean, like I was the starting point guard on the varsity oh, basketball cow. team and I'm like five, six. So 
might be five seven depending on what shoes I'm wearing. But there you go. Um, yeah. So if that tells you anything, like w- tiny school, if uh, if I was even on the team, you you might have been you might have been great though. I am decent. The next Chris Paul. I'm kind of decent, but not next Chris Paul level. Rumors have it that you had 13 D1 offers. Is this true? <laughs> did you? <laughs> this is when I when I googled you. Did you wait? Did you see the Forsyth Women's article? No, dude, that's so funny that you just said that. <laughs> What's this? I got to tell you the story. Uh-huh. You're, you'll, you're a sports guy. So first time I was, uh, when I first started getting some local press as a musician, yeah. Forsyth Women's Magazine reached out and we we're like, yeah, we want to do like a profile on a local musician and we'd love to talk to you. I was like, word. So they interviewed me and I made a joke during the interview. <laughs> I said... I said, you know, uh, they're, they're doing my biography and stuff. And I was like, yeah, when I was in high school, I was all about sports. I played basketball and stuff. I yeah. loved it. And I was like, but, you know, uh, left school and my dreams to be in the NBA didn't exactly pan out. It was probably, I probably just got an injury or something. It probably isn't because I'm like short <laughs> or whatever and short and not that good. Yeah. The article came out and it actually said in there, Tyler now had a promising NBA basketball career ahead wow. of him until a sports injury. Wow. And I was like, oh no, they printed that like it was a fucking <laughs> fact. And I actually had people reach out to me like, I had no idea you were so good at basketball. Wow. I was like, I'm fucking not. It, they, it was a joke. It was it's a joke now, gone dude. awry. <laughs> it's real now, dude. So the fact that you just said that was very funny. <laughs> No, if you ever like get the Wikipedia page up, yeah, I will make sure to put that up there. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> what does a dude got to do to get his own Wikipedia page? Dude, it's hard. That yeah. was my first internship. I yeah. was supposed to make Wikipedia pages for like successful people in Charlotte. And huh. a lot of people got turned down. And they were very mad at me because they thought I wrote a bad article. My article is spot on. They got turned down? Yeah, by Wikipedia. I mean, you can just like put one up and uh. then like they have to review it. Like you got to send in like uh, enough um, like pieces to like go along with it, like articles saying, like saying you're important. I see. Yeah, and people got turned down. I see. That has to hurt your ego. You Th- paid someone to make a Wikipedia page for you, and then Wiki said, "Ah, uh, we're okay." Damn. We have enough of you. <laughs> what kind of people were these? These were like successful business people, like. Presidents of companies, VPs, entrepreneurs around the city. And I guess, like, they thought they made enough money to get a wiki page. Mm. So they're like, oh, surely, surely the president of Coca-Cola consolidated out of Salisbury, North Carolina, needs one. Mm. (laughs) And so you would commission, you would pay a couple thousand to the guy who ran this company I was working for. Damn. Yeah. And then didn't get a wiki page. You've done some interesting shit. (laughs) <laughs> What's the other interesting shit you've done that I don't, maybe I don't know about yet? Um, let me think. Well, the wall time, my time on Wall Street, that was fascinating. So I was what was called a quantitative trading and research analyst. Um, worked for RBC Capital Markets, Royal Bank of Canada. Shout out to you guys, I guess. Yeah. What's up, guys? Sponsor the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so I, so I worked in that role. And my job was to build this code, this essentially a bot that would trade stocks for the bank. And like it would trade it like within milliseconds. 
Like it would be like, oh, like the Apple stock just went up half a percent. So let's buy a whole bunch and then sell it immediately mm. to try and make like a quick $5,000. Damn. And it would do that like thousands of times throughout a day. Okay. Yeah. So that was like my job one summer. You, you, I'm so that piece you said you made that. Yeah. Yeah. I made like the software. Like I the, built the code. Gotcha. For it. Like they had like a team of us and like each one of us were like supposed to build something. Mine was supposed to do like international stocks in developing countries. We were supposed to exploit them. Damn. Like Brazil, you know, the Philippines, any break country, Brazil, Russia, Indonesia, China. And so, yeah, it was like, yeah, like go, go find out their stocks and make us some money on this. Why did you, why did you leave Wall Street? Oh, cause they were working me like crazy. Yeah. I was putting up 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah. Like I remember one time, like I stayed up a full 48 hours just to get yelled at by my boss at the end of it. And I was like, all right, this is no fun. <laughs> Like, I, let me let me do colored rims, bro. <laughs> I don't want to get yelled light at. up. Right. What the hell? No, I mean, it, it was fun stuff. And, like, that's probably, like, my plan B, I guess. Like, if Just my finance. entrepreneurship fails, yeah, I'll, I can work at a bank. Yeah. They always need some people. Damn. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm picturing iconic Wall Street. Is that kind of the environment it was? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. People yelling, people looking at the screen. Yeah, on the trading floor, it's like that. And I remember, like, I got cussed out by my bosses a few times. Like, they were pretty tough on me. They should have. I lost us some some money Mm. a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And so, like, it was warranted. But, yeah, no, it's it's exactly (laughs) like you think. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Well. Yeah. Good times. You said you really like New York, though. Oh, my favorite city. Yeah. Favorite city. I think it is like, like it's a, everything is always moving in New York. And like, I think part of entrepreneurship, like you have this like hustle in you, like you have this grind in you and like you love it. Mm -hmm. Like you hate going through it, but like you love it so much. And like, I'm addicted to it almost. And like New York's just full of it. Yeah. Like even like down to like, you know, the homeless people are like, like they have a hustle going on and like they have this. I'm getting to this money. I got some stuff to do. Like, are we going to, are you going to give me money or not? And it's like, I, I just love that energy of it. Yeah. It keeps me going. Like it pushes me because I know that like two blocks over, there's another kid with the same dream who's ready to work like the extra hour. Mm. And it's just like, it excites that competitiveness in me. That yeah. hustle. You probably, I don't know. Did you feel that like with basketball? Like oh, in yeah. sports back in the day? Okay. Oh yeah. 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 It's I a, can get real competitive. Uh, it's something I can't. I think I kind of hide in a lot of my life these days, or whatever. But I mean, even real talk. I mean, I think if anybody told you different, they would be lying. But uh, you know, artists and shit are. It's that same thing. It's, is it? okay. it's the same kind of like people act like it's a community effort. People act like it's fucking. Oh, I you know yeah. I love this or I love that. But um, I think deep down for a lot of the, for a lot of people doing a creative venture, mm-hmm. it's, they are comparing themselves to other people's success and sort of being like, I want to outdo this person in this way or whatever. And I mean, you kind of have to. Yeah. Like it, there's only so many hours in a day that someone can listen to music. Yeah. And yours has to be better than the other person they can choose from. So yeah, it makes sense. But I mean, that thing with New York, like that's what made it dope for me. Yeah. I get that. Have you ever been? I've been to New York, yeah. I've spent a you little time there. You didn't sound like you liked it. Oh, I liked it. <laughs> I, I would say I I haven't spent sufficient time in New York, okay. you know? So, okay. like, 
I couldn't tell you what a day in the life in, in New York was really? like or whatever. I, was, I like spent a night in the Bronx. I spent a night in uh, Queens, I think. Was it Queens? Queens is sleepy, yeah. Could have been. Yeah, I think it I think it was. Like I so I was dating a girl who had family up there. Um we we would like go, we were we would stay there on our way to Maine and stuff and uh, like uh I see. You know, her family was cool and I I got to see more like the regular lifestyle mm-hmm. of of living in New York. And I got to go to like Central Park and shit like that, but I didn't really get to experience much of the city at all. Yeah. No, Manhattan was dope. I think for me it was just like like all the movies and shows that like glorified it growing up mm-hmm. and just like showing like all the bright lights and like the smells, the foods, like just everything was like glorified. It was made to be this amazing thing. Yeah. And so I think it was just, it was probably more aspirational when I first went, it was just like, that's the big city. Like I know I made it. Cause I can, I come from a small town, Mooresville, North Carolina. You're from Mooresville. Yeah. More race city, USA, baby. Oh, you told me that. You told. I already asked you if my yeah. uncle was your teacher. That's right. <laughs> Wait, who's your uncle? David Nail. He uh, oh, no. he was a shop teacher at Mooresville High, or I think at Mooresville High, or whatever. I feel I might have heard his name though. I yeah. didn't take shop. I'm not a shop kid. Yeah, I took he, fashion merchandising. Fashion merchandising. They <laughs> yeah. have that at, in Mooresville. Yeah, like um, like the floor above shop class. Wow, fashion merch. I didn't, was in there. Didn't know. One of two guys that semester. Wow. I mean, it was a fun time. You're stylish. I get it. Priest, dude. I mean, you know, Target, Target, free jacket, <laughs> Carhartt. <laughs> is that, oh, the, is that the, uh, the Microsoft? Oh, that's the Microsoft Carhartt jacket. Is yeah, that what that is? It is. Okay. Is that their, uh, what's it called? Work in progress line? I might, I don't know. I just learned that they have like a streetwear line. Oh, they do. Yeah. yeah. They do. For the employees on like our website. Uh, yeah, but they were giving this away for free, so I got three. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I gave them as Christmas gifts. Nice. <laughs> so where were we? Um, Was it New York? Yeah, New York. Super aspirational. You're um, from yeah. You're from Mooresville. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was from a small town. <laughs> that took us off the road. Anyway. Yeah. So I was, I was from a small town, and um, yeah. So just being able to get to New York it was like, yo, I made it. Yeah. Like, like I know, like the real world accepts me. Like I'm smart enough to do it. Yeah. And so, like, I remember the first time I went to, um, to what is it called? Times Square. Like, I remember, like, sitting down crying. Like, just seeing all the lights, knowing, like, I made it. Really? Yeah. For real. And it's, it's probably my favorite place on earth. Wow. Everyone hates Times Square. I, I can go there and just get lost. Yeah. I love it. But First time I ever went to New York, that was where I landed. Times <laughs> Square, first night. We, uh... I was with my cousin Jose. We had spent some time in Michigan, mm-hmm. and he was like, he just he was just wanting to make the most of a trip. So he was like, "We're going to fly from Michigan to New York City, take the train from New York City back home." So we did. We took a fucking like first class little car nice. um, from New York On City. Yeah, yeah. But we spent one night, and we we got to uh, we got to Times Square, and we. Uh, <laughs> We like go to a bar. We're like, wow, everyone here is like super attractive. This is crazy. And we saw the red steps. And then like at at like four in the morning, I think we just went to a Sabaro and bought a bunch of pizza and uh, went to our hotel. And and there was like loud music and sex noises. And like somebody was making a porn, I think, in the hotel floor where we were staying. So that that was your your camera debut. 
That was my camera debut. <laughs> that was where I, I learned I, uh, yeah, I needed to get into the movies. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, dude. You should have wanted 99 cent pizza. That's my go-to. Oh, yeah? yeah. 99 cent pizza? That sounds like your, that sounds like your <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, dude. It's, it's for real. Like, you go in, give them a dollar. They give you a slice of cheese pizza. That's pretty nice. Might have some hair on it. It's <laughs> flick. You just walk out, you know? <laughs> Fuck it. What was, so, New, so what was some of your favorite shit to do in New York? Um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, they had the Museum of Sex. I used to. That was a really fun place to go to because it was like an interactive thing. Uh-huh. In not a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but that was that was a fun one. <laughs> um, Jersey City. Jersey City has the best views of New York because you can't see Manhattan when you're in Manhattan. So if you go across the Hudson, um, beautiful views, daytime or nighttime. I loved getting halal food. Doesn't matter the cart. I love getting chicken over rice with the white sauce. Um, and then I think just like bouncing between the different boroughs. Mm. Like Brooklyn feels completely different from Manhattan. Feels completely different from the BX, from Queens, from Long Island. Like it's just all so different. Like, like they really are all different cities. And like you feel like you traveled, you know, different you know, states almost like, yeah. I, just like culturally, like it's just so different. Um, yeah. So if I was like to say like the top things to do in New York, like get 99 cent pizza, check out the views from Jersey city, go to the museum of sex, hit the five boroughs and try to see if you can understand, you know, the dialects and all of them. Mm. All right. Here's a question for you. Who would you say are some artists that best represent your sense of New York? Oh, man. I mean, I feel like the obvious one is Jay-Z. Like, he mm-hmm. made the whole anthem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by the way, that night when I went to Times Square, I don't know if this is normal or not, but we, like, cut on the TV, and it seemed as though there was a whole TV channel dedicated to talking about Jay-Z. <laughs> like, I don't know what it was, but it was like... It was like the history of Jay-Z. He's, I mean, he is a fucking important dude in New York. He is, bro. Like, the important dude. Yes. He, I mean, no one embodies New York more than him. Yeah. I feel, at least not in the mainstream. Um, no, nah, for him, for sure. And I know you said that you haven't seen a dude, but I feel like that whole Hamilton cast. Mm. I think that they, that you haven't seen it, but the play encapsulates the American dream so beautifully mm. and like New York, I think is also like the city that represents the American dream for so many people around the world. And so like listening to their songs, it's like, that's, that's the New York spirit told through a 1776 lens. Damn. <laughs> I need to watch that shit, man. You do, dude. I was listening today to was it today? I was listening recently to an interview with Chris Williamson, I think is his name. Is it? I don't remember. Anyway, there's this guy who does really great interviews. He's been kind of popping off for the last two years or something. He was talking to someone who, I don't know who the dude was. A, a buddy of mine actually sent me this interview. And this guy said something that I thought was actually a really well-put summary of of something about the attraction of cities that I hadn't maybe... I don't know. I hadn't thought about it in exactly these terms, but he was just like, yeah, you're young. He's talking to the interviewer. He's like, you're young, you're fit. You know, you need to 
what you need to do, move to a city. It's way better to be competing, uh, competing in a city because you want to be, it's way better for you to be like doing well among many of the best rather than like excelling in a, in a tiny town or whatever. And I just, I guess I hadn't thought of it in terms of like your own personal craft. Like often I think of the city as like, oh, you, people don't prefer the city because they just prefer the rural areas or the country or whatever. But Mm -hmm. there's also, I mean, it's so ballsy to put yourself in a position where you're like, I want to take my skills, like my craft and my brain and all this stuff Mm -hmm. to like the highest level of competitive existence that there is like in a big fucking super populated city. Yeah, take it to the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense. Like, I guess for you, like, that's probably like going to Nashville or something. For me in the sports world, that's, I don't know, going to like a Texas or something and trying Mm. to do it. Yeah, no, I think like that is a very real thing. And I haven't really heard that before either, but it makes total sense. And like, yeah, for a lot of people, or I guess for a lot of people, like you want to compete amongst the best and. I guess cities just naturally draw people in. Like the corporations are already there, so like, you know, the you know the high paying jobs are going to be there, and like all the kids from around the country graduating college or whatever will flock to these cities. So yeah, yeah, it's like you got to prove yourself amongst like the best talent, and no, that's definitely true. Like working at the bank, like I was surrounded by a bunch of like Ivy League kids. Mm. Like I, I went to a little old UNC Charlotte. Shout out Niners, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, a little public school, but like it's, yeah, full of like these premier Ivy League kids who are probably top of their class in high school, top of their class in college. And yeah, it's like now we're working on the same desk. Like they're all working on the same desk. And yeah, so that totally makes sense. Whether it's, you know, finance or music or sports, like, yeah, I could definitely see it. Well, speaking of competing, I guess, I mean, like, uh, so you, you won this thing that we were in, this accelerated thing that we were in. You came in first place. Indeed. Um, it was awesome. And that's what brought you back here or part of what brought you back here. And you're actually for, uh, you're, you're actually living here for a short I'm amount of downstairs. time. Below it's, kinda, this. it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, so I guess what do you think is the is your path? Like what, what's what's on? Do you know what's on the horizon for you path wise? Absolutely not. Hell yeah. I know nothing about my future. I was actually trying to, I mean, it's top of the year now. Sorry to date the podcast now. No. Nah. But, <laughs> I mean, it's top of the year, and, like, I was trying to, like, do my budget. And I realized I couldn't do it because I don't know what the heck my life will look like in February. Mm. Like, I can't even look out four weeks because, like, it could be so different. Yeah. Whether it's, like, from company success or company failures. Like, I could get that big, you know, fundraising effort that I'm trying to do right now. Like I could get my first investor next week, my first major investor next week. Or, like, I might not get any customers this month and I have to shut down. Mm. It's like I just don't know what's going to happen. And I'm, like, trying to embrace it. Like, I'm just trying to embrace all the unknowns about life right now. Life is crazy, yo. Like, <laughs> I graduated in May and, like, just went full-time, like, as a founder since then. Yeah. And bro, like just like going to Canada on the whim, like I was like I stayed in Montreal for three months, came back here, then I went to Chicago for a month, learned some tiling and plumbing work. 
now I'm here, like, sleeping on the 60-year-old couch. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what I'm going to be doing next month. I thought about going to Mexico Ooh. for a little bit. I love I love that idea. And so it's just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's on the docket for me. The goal, obviously, is to keep going on with this company because I want to keep making the lives of these athletes better. Better. Like, I want to keep improving their performance. You know, maybe they can get an endorsement out of this. Maybe they can improve it so much that they can transfer from a Division three to a Division one. Mm. Um, you know, which comes with that. Like, they can get scholarships so their family doesn't have to pay anymore. Like, bigger endorsements. Maybe the chance to play, like, professionally. If not here, maybe, like, in a different country. Yeah. And so, like, I just want to keep pushing that. And so, like, ideally, like, that's what I'm doing. And, you know, I keep using these resources around Winston. I've made the connections, made some really cool friends. You know, I got the office space now. Um, you know, I get the, you know, if I want to use that cash that I won, like, potentially doing that. So, you know, that's what I would want to do. But at the same time, I could be back at Wall Street in March. Sure. And so... I have no clue what's on the future, but I think that's what makes this all really fun, really stressful, but really fun. Yeah. I mean, best case, worst case, like I'm going to have awesome stories to tell my kids when they're complaining. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can't, you can't complain about anything. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like I was, I was door dashing and, you know, delivering Amazon packages at 10 PM. You sure are. Middle of nowhere. Yeah. (laughs) And Sleeping so, on a sixty-year-old couch, exactly. doing Amazon packages exactly. while you're running dealing with a puppy. Yeah, I inherited a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't know that was happening. Nope. <laughs> yeah, did I, did I even tell you before you got here? Like, hey, there's a puppy here. No, I found out through an Instagram post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yep, she's yeah. a real pain. Oh Marb. Uh, so life is crazy, bro. So like. <laughs> what are some of the big lessons I guess you've ta- you've got from the last few years? Hmm. I mean, I think like over the last like seven eight months, it's may I guess just kind of like just stay flexible, embrace the uncomfortable. I got like a lot of like my life now has just become really uncomfortable. Mm. I'm just doing things I've never done before. never thought I would do. Don't have any blueprint for it. Don't really know who to ask for advice. Yeah. And so it's just like embrace those. Cause some really cool things have happened. Like I went up to Canada and like I got, you know, it was basically like a study abroad experience. Like I got to learn a new language, understood how new culture worked. My roommates were from France, uh, Sweden. no, Finland, yeah, from France, Finland, India, like eating new foods, climb new mountains, like so, like dope things can happen when you embrace the uncomfortable. And I think that's just been like how I want. I know that's how I want to live my life now. Like I don't want to ever be too comfortable, mm. and like I want to lean into those things that are just going to challenge me and like make me feel uneasy inside and like have people question it. Absolutely, because I, I mean, there's just been so many dope things to come out of it. Winning, you know, that velocity accelerator, like. I did not really think I was going to like join the program at first or like go when I was going through it. I was like, this is, I don't really know if like I want to keep going. I thought about quitting and like, but like I kept through it and yeah, I ended up winning it and met some really cool people along the way. So it's like, I just got to keep embracing it because there's going to be some positive things that happen. I mean, man, discomfort, that's such a, it's a huge thing to master, you know, and it's pretty cool that you're, 
It's pretty cool that you're doing that. I mean, I, th- I think anybody in their right mind would probably suggest that in your 20s that that's probably a really good thing to be doing. Yeah. It's like you're in a position right now where you're in between. You're like, you're no longer just a pure on the receiving end of everything and just a student that is mm-hmm. subject to your parents and your teachers and everything. Exactly, yeah. You're out there trying to make some shit happen and you're still in a position right now where it's like you're, you can take massive risks and it doesn't, you know, cost yeah. you a house. Right. That's like good position to be in. Yeah. But it's easier. It is easier said than done though. Yeah. And I'm sure, you, I'm sure you know this too. You said you started your music career at 19. Like, yeah, like it is crazy. I don't know. Well, like, was it that, like, did you feel that kind of stuff too? Or were like, did you have like, were you popping out the gate? Uh, yeah. I mean, in the early years <laughs> it was like, so yeah, it was <laughs> no, no, in the early years it was like, you know, it was like, Oh, I'm having fun. I'm kind of entering into mm. this world. And it was a lot of hanging with friends and playing music and just uh, the early first taste and doing, you know, like I'd get a random little job and just not take it seriously because I I just didn't give a shit about it. You know, it was like, yeah, this isn't really what I care about doing with my life. So it was kind of like nomadic or Mm. old school hippie ish almost just kind of like, yeah, fuck the system. Like, I'm not going to be a I'm not going to do the usual thing. Yeah. And then as it started getting a little more sophisticated, then it became more like a proper adventure. Then it was like, oh, like there's something at stake here and like, Oh, we're, we're loading up a car and like traveling on the weekends and driving all over half of the U S playing shows and stuff. Like right. this is more real. This is more like what it is supposed to be. <laughs> and that was like into my mid twenties, maybe mm. till I was like 26 or something. And, uh, you know, so those years that felt correct. That felt like that's what you're supposed to do when you're in your twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I can what I can tell you in hindsight is that I chose something above staying on that path. I chose like I chose like something like like an attachment above mm. staying on that path, and I should have stayed on that path. Gotcha. And like I don't that doesn't mean you should if you choose not to or whatever. Yeah. But I can tell you at thirty three. I've I lost some years that I wish I had just been, still been on that path at that time. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. Is that the I was like that was the I was going to ask you the follow up, like what would have been like the biggest piece of advice that you would give? Yeah. Me now. You think that's it? That's probably it, man. Yeah. Like so. I mean, honestly, uh, like like I mean, the life that you're living right now, the attachment that I'm talking about is actually to this house. Mm. Uh, I, I've loved living here so much. I, I love living out here in the woods and like kind of being in farmland and being close to family and stuff. Yeah. But I remember years ago, like my old roommate telling me, you know, he, he was a more ambitious guy and was like, always kind of like, Oh, you're not like, I would sometimes romanticize this lifestyle of living here. And he would be like, man, you've got like more to do. Like you've got more shit to accomplish or whatever. Mm. You know, you don't want to just fucking retire at 25 or something. But I was so in love with it here. Yeah. Then when he moved away and my other, like when my band disbanded, I was like, I, I could have done one of two things. Mm-hmm. I could have said, well, 
I'm just going to have to pack up everything into like a storage unit. And I'm just going to have to like not live here anymore, give up the house and go live on the road and become like a musician all the time until I can kind of find stability again. Yeah. The other option was I can stay here, get a job and just kind of like plant my feet here. Yeah. And that's what I chose. And, uh, I don't regret that. I I love this place still. I love the job that I used to have and, you know, the community that I have here. I love being around my family, but I would be closer to where I want to be as a, as an artist in my career. Had I, embrace the discomfort when I was 26 for longer. Yeah. That's one of the things that kind of scares me like coming up soon. Um, I've mentioned to you like, like off pod, like my like deadlines Mm -hmm. and like what I was looking to do. And like one of the things that scare me about going and getting the like full-time job, getting that paycheck I've told you about is that like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to find stability again and I'm going to get very comfortable with it. Yep. Because I imagine it's super hard to like go back to discomfort, you know, after like you've like found all like you've gotten the life that like you grew up wanting. Like you get the job, you get the house, like you get the support, the love, the family, all that. It's like, how do you step away from it? And that's kind of like what happened to my first co-founder, Zach, you know, love the guy to death. Um, You know, childhood best friend of mine, still great friends, love him. But like he like had his full time job. He got it straight out of college. And, you know, early last year we had the hard conversation like if we want to grow this thing, we got to go full time, mm-hmm. which means you got to step away from the full time job. And for him, like he really enjoyed that stability, that comfort. And like, I'm not going to blame him. Like, you know, that's that's what we all want. Yeah. Like biologically, that's what we all want. As we think of like was it Pav? No, not Pavlov. Yeah, Whoever's the, uh... triangle that thing the hierarchy of needs yeah that and so like yeah like that but that worries me though yeah rightfully so i don't want to like be so comfortable that like i lose my ambition and i lose the drive i think especially in your 20s that's probably you should probably respond to that in the way that your instincts are telling you to like you, you don't it might be it might be that you're young enough right now that you should avoid too much stability because stability can be a bit crippling when it comes to the vision you might have. There is a way to do it. Like you could you could do that and you could pay your dues, you could spend your time and you could you could be like one of these guys that you hear about occasionally in the New York Times. It's like I just dedicated 15 years of my life to living off of 20k, making yeah. 170k mm-hmm. and I retired at 31 and now I'm going to do whatever I want with the rest of my life. That's a very smart plan, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur and and you can create that much income for yourself. Yeah. But if that isn't like, if, if your goal isn't to retire early, then it's, you know, more, more usually the case that people spend their twenties investing in the skills they need to like have that vision that they want for their thirties. What is it? Someone said, somebody said, man, I wrote it down. What was it? Somebody said something like you spend your twenties. Uh, I don't know if I've got it. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I've got it. I do have a different one though. That was probably going to be the most important thing said tonight. I'll find it. I'll find <laughs> it. A different version of it is, uh, you know, you do what you have to, you do what you have to, uh, for a short while mm-hmm. so that you can do what you want to for as long as possible. Mm. And that's what your 20s are. Yeah. You do what you have to. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, looks different for everyone, but stability, I guess, means normal job, normal income, not having to be an entrepreneur, right? Um, or I mean, you could find that in entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what we're all shooting for, really. Is like that's what I'm shooting for. Yeah, we we want to like, how can we turn this idea, this business, this dream into like a steady paycheck? It doesn't even have to be a big paycheck, just a steady one. So like. Yeah. You know, I can get food for me and whoever I live with, you know. Yeah. So. And oddly, some people argue that that approach is actually though it seems wrong, some people argue that it's actually the least risky approach. And because something like when you pursue a place in a hierarchy that you can't affect and you're just one of many people competing for that space. Mhm. That's riskier, arguably, mm-hmm. than it is to create your own hierarchy and be at the top of it uh, and not be subject to that competition. Yeah. It's harder to get everything in place to stabilize that hierarchy. Right. But harder is different than riskier. Very true. Yeah. That's what, I never thought about that. Yeah. Harder is different than riskier. Yeah. I the, the that one time I got laid off, <laughs> and 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 they're like they're, maybe it's stupid for me to even say this because I'm in my community and I don't want anybody to think that I'm bitter at all about the fact that I got laid off. Like it was it was COVID and everybody got laid off. <laughs> like it was a shitty time. It happened. But when I got laid off, I don't, did you see the uh, the Jim Carrey documentary Jim and Andy? No. He talked about his dad in that documentary, and he was like, his dad was a musician and. Mm-hmm. He talked about how his dad put like 50 years in this company that he got laid off before he got to retire or something. And his dad was just like heartbroken. And he said something like, in life, you can fail at what you want to do or you can fail at what you don't want to do. Yeah. And it's better if you're going to fail, you right. might as well fail at what you want to do. <laughs> and when I got laid off, I was like, oh, man, I'm never going to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. I, I never want to be in a position again where I am that subject to uh like somebody else's sort of yeah ability to decide my fate you know didn't you go back yes <laughs> <laughs> yes i sure did no yeah i don't know i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep having fun this year yeah man as long as i can i mean once the once the bank account said zero i'm uh oh well yeah, I guess I got to get a job. <laughs> I guess that's the failing of what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm okay with that. I have come to peace with that. Like, if I, if I fail, I fail, but I gave it all I had. So I'm cool with that. I want to ask you some random questions. Shoot. I don't know why. This is the total opposite of what I like thought that this conversation would do, but I, I just had a wild hair. Um. A long time ago, someone suggested that I should ask people this question on this podcast, and I, I never have, but I'm going to ask you. Um, if you had a time machine, what would you do with it? Time machine, what would I do with it? Um, I want to go back to the prehistoric era. I want to see if dinosaurs are real. Yeah. I don't believe they're real. Really? <laughs> is <laughs> very, this a very true thing about is me. Is this real? This is real about me. Holy shit. Yeah. Have now you ever, we got there. Are you familiar with what a stegosaurus is? Stegosaurus. I feel like, is that an STD? It is not an STD okay. that I'm aware of. Uh-oh. Let me, let me Google it. So it's, 
It's um, it's like low to the ground, like short, wide legs, wide bodied, but it has the spikes on the back. Uh huh. Yeah. So, then they go like this. Yeah, yeah. 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 Spikes all down, like from the tail all the way up to like its neck. Got you. I don't know how that one reproduces. Huh. How does the male get on top and not get impaled? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You just blew my mind. It sounds crazy. But, I mean, hey. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know the answer. Exactly. I've posed this question for seven years. Yet to get an answer. <laughs> seven um, years. Yeah, seven years. So, hold up. Okay. Do you have a theory, then, about why... Like, okay, so I get, I've heard people say things. I watched the documentary about the race to uncover dinosaur bones. Mm -hmm. And I understand at least that there was a lot of controversy and a lot of phony shit going on back at that time. Absolutely. Uh, So is that a big part of what makes you say this? That is great supporting evidence. Okay. I I really hold the, the, the basis of my thesis is that the stegosaurus couldn't reproduce it can't fuck i don't acknowledge any of the other ones because <laughs> okay. they might have been able to <laughs> okay but i you know i do think like the fact that no full fossil has been found and like we yeah we just find a bone and then like they take one bone and construct a whole dinosaur uh-huh. it's like that's that's a little ambitious <laughs> you know <laughs> that's a big leap <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I have some problems with that too um I love this. This is the best. This yeah. A, um, How, what would you do with the time machine? I'm sure. Man, it's on the productive. Dude, I just like I I I'm so excited that you don't believe in dinosaurs. <laughs> I I don't know. I wish I knew something. I don't know anything. Um, okay, what would I do with the time machine? I should have known that you would ask me this. <sighs> um, I would. I could I could shoot another question at you <laughs> off the hip. Well, we'll do okay. That'll happen next. Okay. If I had to answer, oh, clearly, I, this is cliche as shit. But clearly, I would like go to some Bible time and see if if see what was going on, see how accurate the uh, storytelling was. That's very. That's a yeah. That's a smart one. Yeah. That's a smart one. Like I don't know if I. Which one do you? Which one do you think is the most cap? The most what? Cap. Uh, young kids. Um, like lingo for like a lie. Oh, okay. No uh, cap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so no cap is like no lie. Okay, okay. So which one do I think is capped the most? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. The, so the, the the one that's the most outrageous. Obviously, the on, the most important thing to figure out is whether or not Jesus like claimed to be God and did miracles and stuff like that. So I would probably if you can only choose happened. like one though one like one moment. Yeah. Damn, that's a great question. Um, well, I'd probably have to say, I think I have mine, but it's like, I don't want to choose this because I don't want the answer really. But I guess obviously what I would do is probably pick, um, the, the, the day that he should have come back, come back to the disciples yeah. after his death. That's uh, that's a probably also a really good one. That would answer the questions, it seems like. Yeah, <laughs> that would do it. Yeah. I was thinking I was thinking the Red Sea would be fire. That would be awesome. Like, you know how insane that would be to see a whole river just split open? Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be dope. I think seeing the Ark 
That that joint had to be big. Uh-huh. They have one of those in Kentucky, though. Yep. They recreated that. My family's been to it. Word? Yeah. I haven't. They like it. I, I, I've i never been. Uh, I don't <laughs> think I could go. Fair enough. I don't like the guy that was involved with that whole effort. Noah? <laughs> no. <laughs> Kent, Kent Hoven or Kent? The person who like who made the museum? Yeah. Okay. It was either Kent Hoven or uh, Ken Ham, one of the two. What'd they do? Um, they're... They're in the apologist camp we were talking uh, about, and yeah, they yeah. just, I just think that sometimes they're a little, um, like too absolute. Definitely that, but they're, they're, they're like a lot of people they're, they're they'll go to dishonest lengths to, mm. um, make their case. And it's like, if we're going to talk, we might as well, everybody just might as well be as honest as possible with each other. Like yeah. there's no need for us to try to trick each other. Yeah. You know, so just let's all just be real. And and I think that uh, apologists of all kinds tend yeah. to use unfair tactics with their language. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But so I'd probably try to, or the last thing I would say, maybe the garden of Eden, especially that'd, yeah, that'd be really cool. Like if when God, when God was supposed to have put the, the, the dude there with the flaming sword to guard it, mm. I'd like to see, if that you want to see the gate, <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to stand outside and see that. I think it was called a cherubim. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to be there and see that. Interesting. I love. I absolutely love the idea. And this was depicted in a movie called The Fountain. I love the idea that somewhere hidden on Earth is the entry to Eden, and that like mm-hmm. it's still guarded by some force. Yeah, some like powerful, fiery force. Yeah, that'd be dope. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie though. You said the fountain. The fountain. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's great, man. I've I've got it. If you want to watch it at some point, VCR, uh, DVD. DVD. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but <laughs> yeah. So, what's your uh, random question? Okay, if so, say you're starting a country, uh huh, and we're doing a fantasy draft. Are you familiar with fantasy drafts? Yeah. And you had to pick a leader for your country. Oh yeah. Past or present? Who are you taking? <laughs> I really wanted first to just, overall pick. I wanted to like nunge like without blinking, and I'd be like, obviously Trump, but I didn't. Dude, I in my freshman year seminar class, I posed the same question. Really? Yeah, I was. I didn't fully read the textbook, so I was leading the discussion, and I didn't read the textbook all the way. So I was just like saying wild stuff to keep us talking. Uh huh. And no, I was like Hitler would, like he would definitely like outshine Don Mar- Martin Luther King, like. Uh, I'm taking Hitler before I'm taking him. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was like, you know, just like, like we'd make it very far as a country. We wouldn't do the right things, but like our economy's strong. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> our military is equipped. I, I don't know if we can keep that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to keep it. Yeah. Unless you don't want me to. You're but. good. You're good. What's well, a brand? It's a personal brand. Yeah, man. Uh, we're... we're <laughs> No, yeah, but I, I was just saying like dumb stuff that I didn't believe in. Important yeah. that I clarify this. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna end up like Alex Jones with a <laughs> right with a Kanye situation. I'm like, what the hell did, did we just talk about? Um, who would I pick? Uh, First overall in the country fantasy draft, your leader is God. It sounds um, so cliche for me because like people will roll their eyes about this. But a person whose judgment I trust uh, and leadership skills, I think, are possessed and, and trustworthy. 
I'd probably pick this. Uh, I'd probably pick. I might would pick Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, really? I'm, I might would pick Jordan Peterson. Really? Yeah. That's an unproven pick. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I like about his mentality about leadership is that he doesn't want to claim it for himself. He mm-hmm. He's talked before about, like, if... If if people in Canada wanted him to be the prime minister and like tried to elect him, he would respond to that. But he's not gonna like seek it out from them. Yeah. And I think that's like the attitude you want a leader to have. It's like mm-hmm. they're they're not in they're not hungry for the power, you know. Mm-hmm. They just like but they I get the impression that he's the kind of guy that could handle it. Yeah. Huh. Very that's a similar quality like what George Washington had. Mm. Like they asked him to be present. Like he didn't want to take the role or anything. And then like he set the term limits. Like he was like, all right, I want to step down. Like give this to someone else. I didn't know that. Yeah, you should watch Hamilton. I should watch Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. All right. Did he serve three terms? He might have served. He he set the term length, but he might have served three. He may have. Uh, he might have before the before the country was necessarily established because yeah. there was a couple of presidents yeah. before FDR, I think also served three. Mm. You seem like you're into history, but a little bit. Okay. I, I definitely appreciate history a lot, but I, I don't have like the most specific memory all the time about like yeah. names and dates and shit like that. Yeah. I'm bad with details. So yeah, I just say something and say it confidently. Hopefully I'll go with it. Yeah. So, I know that the moon landing was 1969. I don't believe in that either. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm like, sl- this is <laughs> slowly Major becoming. Red pill over here. <laughs> I love it. I love that shit. Yeah, dude. So you're, wait, okay, so what is your red pill? I don't know. I don't even know if I'm using the term right. Well, different people, like, <laughs> it depends. Because uh, some people do use it probably different than that. But it sounds like you're saying, like, alternative to the mainstream yeah just like conspiracy i love yeah. it yeah, I, love no, I don't think we actually landed on that thing though that's so great Ter- terrible quality on that film <laughs> terrible flags waving why is it waving <laughs> no wind up there it's like oh this is weird <laughs> i did <laughs> there was that well i i it was solved i guess so never mind never mind um, well, what was it there was that there was a, a there's a popular picture of that somebody took of a spacesuit like neil armstrong's spacesuit or something mm-hmm. with the feet and uh it didn't match the footprint on the moon or whatever but that was like they said it was some kind of footy booty he had to put on he had to put on top cap. of it <laughs> cap oh yeah why is he putting on socks <laughs> over his boots yeah what's the boots for you right know? we didn't make the boots ready for the moon <laughs> We had to give them some cloth. So what is the, was it just the, the, the race with Russia? Is that the incentive to lie about the moon? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a big flex, dude. Yeah. We made it to the moon first. Come on. We have the smartest scientists. You guys, you guys can't even leave orbit. Yeah. I mean, they sent a monkey up. Ooh. Yeah. We landed. Did, you know, did they send a lady or a dog or something? Uh, was it? Oh, it might have been a dog instead of a monkey. They yeah, sent, they someone sent in... a monkey first, okay. I think. They, they sent someone into space first. I will give them that. That's it. And that, I think, was a... Wasn't that a woman? Maybe. I think that was a... I think her name was Valentina. I should know. Yeah. But, yeah. 
They, <laughs> but yeah, no, they they got to space first. So I guess that's a win. But the only way we could up them is to get to the moon. Yeah, and they could beat us if they got to Mars. But our boy Elon's on that. Uh huh. He's not letting anyone take that title. Damn straight. I don't. I, I don't even know if Russians are still in space. I think they're the. I, or I thought they, they might have the gotten really ones. upset and just stayed on Earth. Mm. That's what we did to them. Yeah. Punked them that hard. Exactly. So that's why we had to lie. Imagine if it was the other way. Imagine if Elon Musk moved to Russia. Mm. Ooh. I don't, li- I don't like that. Great thought. <laughs> <laughs> don't like that at all. I thought you meant imagine if they had beat us to the moon or at least said they did. So Yeah, and then we'd be too scared to go. That would have been 1969. That would have been under the Soviet Union. Oh, no. So that would have been like... I mean, I do... One thing I will... I don't know anything, but one thing I will grant is that there was a lot of incentive probably to um, come out on top of the Soviet Union, on top of communism too, especially in the late 60s. Yeah. So like... More realistically, yeah. If they had like fucking... If if the Soviet Union had got to the moon, that would have been disheartening and demoralizing for a lot of... uh, that's a, a big win for the ideology. Yeah, exactly. Like to show like under this communistic idea that like, you know, like we're all equal and like, but our education, like our scientists, we're still able to outperform yours who are like heavily incentivized by money and all this stuff. Yeah. And like they just did it like, you know, goodwill and interest. Yeah, that would have been, that would have been a big L. Yeah. Do you think that anyone's been to the moon ever? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would like to believe that at this point we could get to the moon if we wanted. So I'm going to say yeah. Okay. Because if we still couldn't get to the moon, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I working on sports team stuff? Yeah. I should be working on rockets. <laughs> Absolutely. I can handle that then. Yeah. According to, the, according to NASA, I think there's been like 14 people go to the moon or something. That's it? Yeah. Well, 14 Americans, I guess. Uh, I don't know. but Yeah, no, I don't think I'm allowed on the moon. Because the rumor is, the rumor when I was growing up was that you had to be an Eagle Scout to be an astronaut. Uh-huh, I've heard that. And I gave up too early. Mm. So I gave up on that career path at a very early age. I see. Yeah, so I don't think I can go. Well, I see, like, myself, I mean, you're wearing glasses. I am wearing contacts. You need 20-20 vision? I believe you do. That's a bummer. Yeah. Biologically, I couldn't be an astronaut. <laughs> didn't matter if I was an Eagle Scout or not, dude. You, know, you didn't have them eagle eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, there's like a really good Norm MacDonald bit about like you would think <laughs> you would think that anybody who's ever been to the moon would be like the most famous person on Earth. Right. But really... Just the first guys, just the first two guys are famous. Otherwise, it's like people on Instagram, just like pictures of of giant asses <laughs> makes you famous. But like 12 people have been on the moon and no one knows who the mankind. fuck they are. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty weird. Uh, I had another. Oh, I want to know what your bucket list is. Do you have any bucket list items? Um, I want to go to... The one that I'm pursuing the hardest right now is I want to go to every state in the mm. country. Um, definitely want to do that. More ambitiously, I want to go to every country in the world. That'd be sick. Um, 
Antarctica is definitely up there. My girl, she wants to go there very badly. Probably won't happen for like another 20 years. Ugh, that scares me, bro. Antarctica? Mm-hmm. Or women? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> why, why is Antarctica scary? It just scares me, man. It's just scary. It's like so far away, way down there in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And worst, like worst ocean and shit, worst weather in the world. Like, oh, Jesus. It just in my head, it's like this barren horror. This, this like, yeah. t- that's like my imagination of hell on earth, I think. It's really? just like that. There's, there's a few. Like a volcano. A giant volcano is really scary to me. Really? A, a gaping hole in the ground that is filled with fire. That's you pretty say scary like to that. me. But <laughs> I have an irrational fear of water towers, though, so I can relate. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, dude. So, okay. This fear started maybe middle school, high school, um, which is probably a little too late to develop that fear anyway. Mm. But I didn't know how they worked. And I thought the bulb at the top was just full of water. And I was like, oh, my gosh, imagine being stuck in one. It's just completely dark. You're drowning, and you don't even know which direction's up. You're just pushing water for nothing. I was like, that's the most terrifying thing ever. I mean, I've learned how they work now. They're not just full of water. Like, you can actually be inside of one, but Mm. it's crazy. Crazy fear. I I think, I guess, drowning in the dark is what I'm afraid of. but. But that makes sense. That makes sense. Sweet. It does. I get it. Thank you. Like... I I know I have fears probably comparable to that that are just like just lacking a just a little bit like like when you think of something in a certain way mm-hmm. it can be really terrifying okay. for sure. Uh but I digress. Every state, every country. Oh yeah. So like how many states have you been to? Um probably like 20 or so. Which one's your favorite so far? Um Maybe Portland or Oregon. Sorry, Oregon might be my favorite state. Oregon's really dumb. It's it's just beautiful, like from corner to corner. Mm. Has the city, has the mountains, has the beach. Um, I haven't been to like the big ones, like Texas, California. So I still got to hit those. But yeah, that was dope. And Colorado was really nice too. Mm, I want to go there really bad. You haven't been? No. Wow. You know that was amazing. I enjoyed seeing the mountains and stuff there too. So. She's being all weird. Uh, when you, whenever you do make it to Texas, whenever you make it to Austin or somewhere, you should, you should let me know. I might try to meet you down there. There we go. Or San Ann. Yeah. San Ann, Galveston, Houston, yeah. wherever. I just, uh, I like Texas a lot, man. And I'd like to go, <laughs> like yeah. to go back. I what? need to get back there. She is get there, but. looking at me judgmentally. We'll, uh, we'll stop. We'll stop talking soon, I guess. Yeah. Um, marble marble rules i heard this um funny thing it was like these like i don't even know adages i think they're what they're called or like expressions of like how to call someone dumb mm. and someone was like you're as you're as sharp as a marble mm. i thought that was brilliant sharp as a marble <laughs> yeah sharp as a marble that was a good one one was um you have two brain cells left and they're fighting for third place <laughs> <laughs> that's such a like grandpa right. <laughs> it's like a weird grandpa insult yeah well i won't keep us i i, I want to keep talking but um we're both virgin on tired i think so and you probably got a, a work day ahead of you tomorrow 
Yeah, I got to start deliveries at 7. Do you really? Oh. Yeah. And 7 in the morning? <laughs> Fun. Yeah, yeah. But it's groceries, though, so that's the easy ones. That's early for groceries. All right. Well. I'm like the milkman, dude. I'm a modern-day milkman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is a unique experience. This is a unique opportunity we have here um, because you're going to be living here for at least a month and maybe for longer. So I think it could be an interesting thing for us to do maybe more than one episode. Maybe we can, like get to know each other better through this process. Yeah. So uh, I don't think this will be the only one we do. Awesome, so, bro. Uh, for tonight, good night, and I guess that's it. Later, people.